Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Gallant Few Rangers podcast. My name's Colin McDuff and today we'll be continuing with our series where we look at each Rangers manager over the last 30 years and between us try and agree on a best 11 for each spell. Joining me today to discuss the Dream 11 from Walter Smith's first spell in charge, first of all, the Gallant Few stalwart, Ian McCready. Afternoon. And we also have two debutants for the show. First of all, the fantastic Mr. Graham Curry. Hello, Colin. Thanks for inviting me on to do this. Really enjoying it. Uh, I look forward to doing it. Thanks very much for coming on, Graham. And the excellent Mr. Ross McCarran. Ross, how are you doing? Afternoon, guys. Not too bad, thanks. So we've shuffled the lineup around because most of our usual roster are a bit young to be remembering uh, the early 90s and for the majority of Walter's first spell in charge. When these guys were wearing the Rangers jersey, we were we couldn't even wipe our own arses. And saying that, that's probably still the still the case for for one of the for, for one of the usuals. Um, Only the UK, McAdam. But Ian, talk us through a Rangers fan in the nineties. What? How how good a time was that? And what's it like compared to now? It was brilliant. You just won every game, <laughs> pretty much. You, ne- you never went into a game, certainly domestically, thinking, oh, this is dodgy. It was always, how many are we going to win by? It was, we had just so many good players and so many good teams in that era that it was just, you just didn't, never feared losing. What's the difference now? You're just, you, you go away to, like, come on, and you're like, that's a bit dodgy because they've got the daft plastic pitch and the team's not as good. So, but... Back in the, the 90s, that was never the case. You never feared losing. It was always many we going to win by the day. I can only dream of not having that impending feeling of doom every time we go to Rugby Park. That's something completely alien to me. Uh, you can't... Everybody knows about nine in a row and the, the treble in 92-93 and the, the numerous cups. You can't argue with the domestic success, but Graham, do you think we potentially maybe underachieved in Europe based on the players we had and how dominant we were in Scotland. Yeah, I think there is definitely a feeling of underachievement. I think that's well known. Early 90s, we went out. Away goals seemed to get us a few times. So there was Sparta Prague. There was Lefsky Sophia. 
They were, we were putting away goals, and at that time we were expecting to get through. Especially after the Levski Sofia came after, came after the um, the European run, where we get eventually eliminated by the bastards Marseille. <laughs> that was going to be our season. That was going to be a great season for us. And then obviously their scheming ways got us uh, got us eliminated. But getting into that, that next season we were on a high in terms of we we are a you know a top European side. And we went into that left case of fear game thinking, yeah, we can do this, we'll go for. And we didn't even qualify. So that was a that was a bit of a blow. Following season after that was AEK Athens. Um and that's the one where you thought, right, we'll definitely get through. And and now looking back, going to Greece is always tough. You know, these these um, it's a tough place to go. As Athens, you've got the, the crazy fans that they've got. AEK Athens as well. After that game, that was the day that um, Chick Young interviewed Walter Smith and was asking us, you know, is uh, is Brian Lowder up to this? Is is Basil Bolly up to this? And that, that famous interview. Um, that is, yeah, there was definitely a feeling. So that is one of my favourite interviews of like from anybody ever. It's just absolute look of disgust in Walter's, May, Walter's face. It was uh, tremendous. And Archie Knox walking by. I don't even know why you gave him the time of day. I don't even know why you talked to him. So but I definitely, a definite feeling of um, underachievement under under Walter Smith in Europe. Some of it were own doing, and some of it. Bernie Toppins or Bernie Tapia at Marseille, something that has doing. So that leads on to my next question, Ross. Why would you put that down to no, no really making as much of a stamp in Europe? Is it was it complacency because they were, as Ian was saying, just used to putting as many goals as they want past teams, or was it just no being able to adapt to the style of play? What What do you think? Uh, yes, I'd agree with that. I think there probably was a bit of kind of naivety uh, in some of our European defensive displays. Jomi's uh, first spell and uh, some of the score lines against like Juventus and Ajax uh, would back that up. Uh, I think it's hard going from being so dominant domestically to then going up against uh, these teams. And the thing is, now when you think of a, a Walter Smith team in Europe, you instantly picture that kind of dogged, resolute uh, defensive unit that got us to Manchester. Uh, but during his first campaign, uh, apart from probably uh, the 92-93 season, we were unbeaten in Europe. Uh, we weren't that kind of resolute defensively. Certainly, you know, it's certainly an interesting time to look back. It's just a comparison between, you know, domestic success and, you know, some of the the hills in Europe, especially like the ones uh, like Sofia and Athens that. Uh, Graham was talking about there. But moving into the actual, the actual 11 we're going to look at, so uh, a couple of rules we put in place. Obviously, every player had to play for Walter Smith during his first time in charge. Uh, and we've also made selections based on uh, Walter's first full season in charge onwards. So from 1991 onwards. If we had maybe been a bit playful with that rule and included players from the end of the season before where Walter was in charge of the last seven games, I think there would have been a bit more discussion, a bit more debate on on most of the positions. Uh, Ian, we'll start with you. Is there any any honourable mentions from the season before who who would have been fighting for a spot in this team? Uh, 
for me, just none of them played enough games for Walter Smith. But maybe Chris Woods. Um, but other than that, I can't really think of anybody. Think so for me, Colin, the one that stuck out, um, that doesn't make the midfield, is my idol and hero, David Cooper. So, David Cooper played under Walter Smith. I think Dave, I think Walter Smith is fundamental to the first few seasons of the nine in a row. I know it's, I know it's Graham Souness' team. I know he's a manager at that time. But Walter Smith is a massive part of that. You can't downplay what he done in, in that. He, he was the coach. He was the, the brains behind it all. Souness was the... Sunis was the face, and Sunis was also a great player as well. But that's where I was sort of coming through when I, I thought, well, when you asked me to do this, I started to look at that team over that period when Walter Smith was involved with Rangers. But that would just be the very first one on top of my head, was right, get Cooper in there. But then when you actually look at it and say, no, let's put the parameters onto this, um, onto this team, and we are going to just go from 91-92, that's when... Um, that's when obviously you'd exclude that as he's, he's left by that point. And, and similar to the one you just mentioned there is Chris Woods. Chris Woods would have been up, would have been up there for me. He went through a, a, a British record, I don't know if it still stands, but of clean sheets. You know, and he went, he went through a period of, I, I can't tell you the, the, the amount of games, but let's say it was 15, 20 games without losing a goal. And it was a British record at the time. So an honourable mention for him as well, I think. But not to be considered for the team. That <laughs> that is an, uh, an incredible start. If, if uh, as along those lines, um, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know he did hold the British record uh, for at least quite a while. And again, just really looking back to how times have changed. He was England number one at that time. That like I couldn't fathom. I couldn't comprehend Rangers these days. Like, even when I was growing up, uh, signing the England number one. But. It leads me on nicely to the first player we're going to come to in our uh, in our Dream Eleven. We're going for a four four two formation, uh, but as many great managers and selectors of teams will do as well, we'll start at the back and start strongly at the back with none other than the goalie Andy Gorham. This should be this shouldn't be any discussion at all. I don't imagine anybody arguing me arguing the fact that anybody else should be over picked over Andy Gorham. hundred and eighty four appearances over seven seasons at Rangers. The undisputed number one. Five league medals, three Scottish Cup medals, two League Cup medals. And uh this the terrible season of ninety two and ninety three, where a lot of a lot of people will argue that was the strongest Rangers side of the nineties. You got writers player of the year and players player of the year, and if you don't agree with the his game of, I'll show you my medals. Even his YouTube highlight reel, it must be about thirty minutes long, just for just for the in the nineties alone and his his Rangers career alone. There's a famous quote. I don't know who it was made famous by or who said it, but good strikers win your games, good keepers win your leaks. Is MD got to argue Andy Gorham over argue over Andy Gorham? I don't think there is an argument. But <laughs> <laughs> my, my one my one criticism of Andy Gorham and 
you know, I, I'll be honest, it's personal, it's not football, uh, it's not for football reasons, but he was the manager of the Corrie Bar in Rutherglen uh, for quite a few years and he refused to serve me when I was 16 and didn't have any ID. Uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently, I'm a Rangers fan, wasn't good enough to get served underage, um, so maybe take that on board, Andy. Uh, <laughs> Ross, you know, it's... I think the the cliche that Rangers have always had great goalies, that must surely, uh, Andy Gorham must surely have a big part to play in that. But for me, does, or for you even, does he beat Chris Woods in the greatest of a Rangers goalie? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, replacing Chris Woods was uh, never going to be an easy task. And I think Gorham had some kicks in his uh, first few months, some soft goals were conceded. Uh, but that was forgotten about and they went on to be absolutely pivotal uh, during that period and making some iconic saves which I think uh, you were talking about during the YouTube reel uh, especially that one against Van Hooydonk uh, stands out Tremendous save and a save he had no right making um, he's for for a guy that was never the most the most lean or agile he, he was like a cat at times and he just kind of defied logic so Andy Gorham, first name of the team sheet and first one that we all agree with. So, Ross, we'll stick with you. You've got to talk us through your back four. So, talk us through who you've got and why. Okay, so out of the back four, uh, two of the positions were filled right away uh, without much deliberation. Uh, The other two slots, though, uh, required a bit more debate. Uh, So, start with right back, and that was certainly one of those positions. So I've eventually went with Gary Stevens. Now, some might argue that his best form was probably a few years prior eh, under Sunnis, but this was an England internationalist, eh, a big-name signing at the time, and he still played over 100 times eh, for Walter Smith during his first three seasons in charge. In terms of appearances, only Alec Leyland bears that. But for me... Cleland was kind of in the same mould as Morris Ross, uh, obviously same position, and without being too harsh, neither were the most naturally gifted footballers, but both made lots of appearances uh, in successful teams, and I think the fact that Walter Smith took Cleland to Everton uh, proves that he rated him, but for me, uh, Stevens has to edge it, I don't know if anybody's got any challenges on that choice. So... Graham, we'll come to you. Uh, so just to confirm, Gary Gary Stevens was uh, everybody's right back when you sent your team over. So Graham, was this was this an easy choice for you, or were you kind of torn between Cleland or anybody else? No, I couldn't. I couldn't put anybody else in there. I, I didn't have a second thought. Um, Gary Stevens for me. I don't know if this is memories playing tricks, but I seem to remember McCall playing right back um, on occasion. I know you wouldn't consider him a right back, but I, I couldn't think of anybody. Alec Cleland's just no for me, definitely no for me. He was turned. I think you mentioned that game earlier. He was turned inside it by Del Piero. I think he's still inside it. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well- just before we continue with Ross's defence, I think um, the only the only downfall we're with doing these best eleven teams is we miss out a lot of important players who potentially won't will kind of be forgotten in history, but they are important. Like uh, 
in Ross compared Alec Lyon to Maurice Ross, and we spoke about Maurice Ross uh, a couple of weeks ago in the McLeish era. Like, I think, um, you know, it should be maybe start including a, um, a subs bench as well for guys like Alec Leyland because, like, surely he had a big part to play in Walter's early success. I think he had a part to play, definitely. He played a lot of games under Walter Smith, but in, in terms of class-wise, I think I've also got... I've, when I went through the right-backs that played for Walter Smith, I've also got Sergio Perini. And I'd be picking him over Alec Cleland as well. He might not have done as much, but he certainly was a better footballer, better right-back. Um, there's also Craig Moore, which Walter Smith loved to play at right-back, didn't he? Uh, didn't really work for him there right enough, but... Uh, Aye, Alec Clarend wasn't really in my consideration. It was between Stevens and Perini, and it was more for what Gary Stevens done uh, that I picked him. Well, that's two for two in the unanimous pick. So Gary Stevens rolls in at right back. Ross, who have you got the other side of Stevens? Uh, so at left back, uh, this was a much easier choice to make. Uh, kind of one player stands out, and uh, I think signed at the start of the ninety-one, ninety-two season. Uh, so was pretty much a mainstay throughout. Uh, nowadays, he's probably a bit more renowned for his uh, reality TV appearances. Uh, so of course, it's Real Cashmere's very own David Robertson. Uh, he was a superb athlete. He's a good defender as well. Uh, was effective going forward, chipping in with some goals. I think back then the expectation of fullbacks wasn't necessarily the same as it is nowadays, and especially with the, the quality in front of him, it's just a case of win the ball back and and move it to better players. Uh, I would also add, though, I, I think it's a travesty that he only got uh, three caps for Scotland, uh, especially with the likes of Tosh McKinley getting picked in front of him. Uh, but I know there was rumours that Inter Milan were trying to sign him, uh, so I think that proves just uh, how good a a player he was. As for competition for this position, disregarding the kind of squad players and Stanley Senzas, I think Bomber Brown's the only other name that uh, comes to mind. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has got a player that they think could compete. Well, everybody else has picked uh, David Robertson as the left back. Um, just on David. David Robertson, so that, I'll be honest, that's somebody I didn't really know too much about until the Real Kashmir BBC documentary, and I'll be honest, it, it seems a bit nuts, like, you need to be nuts to go <laughs> go over there for a jolly, never mind to work. David Robertson, the left back, so, Ross, I've got a feeling that one of your centre-halves is going to be a fairly straightforward choice, and then there'll maybe be a bit of discussion around the other one, so who have you got at centre-back? So, yeah. Richard Goff uh, has to be in there, uh, similar to Gorham. Uh, I think not only do they, do they walk into this team, they, they probably walk into any Rangers team uh, throughout our history. For me, he just epitomises uh, what it is to, to be a Rangers captain, uh, an absolute leader uh, on and off the field. I think maybe if you were to ask an older generation to shut their eyes and picture a Rangers captain, they'll maybe have an image of John Gregg in Barcelona. Uh, but for me, it's, it's golf, uh, either blood-soaked uh, against CSK Moscow or on tears as he lifts the, the trophy for nine in a row. Uh, but, I mean, he, he was a great footballer too. 
and uh, the fact that he was still doing it in the Premier League at 39 uh, kind of backs that up. But as for his partner, centre defence, uh, that's uh, definitely a much more difficult choice to make. And for me, it just comes down to personal preferences. There isn't really a, a standout player during this period. And I, th- I think it was an area that Walter Smith never really got quite right. Uh, he could never kind of match that Butcher-Goff partnership. There was the big money signing a Basel Ball in 94, but that didn't uh, really work out. So some of the other players that played there, you've got Dave McPherson, Alan McLaren. Uh, I'm going to mention Scott Nisbet purely just because he's goal against Bruges. Uh, Stephen Presley, but, uh, Basil Ball, as I mentioned, Gordon Petrich, uh, a young Craig Moore, but again, he played, uh, I think, centre mid and right back uh, during those early years. And then, as Ian mentioned, uh, Prini, but Smith signed him and played him at centre back, I think, this, uh, that last year. Smith was in charge, and it was uh, Advocate that eventually moved him uh, to right back. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to go with Joachim Bjorklund. Uh, I think he was a kind of classist defender uh, out of the guys I've just mentioned, over 70 caps for Sweden. Uh, yeah, so it would be a, a golf Bjorklund uh, partnership for me. So Bjorklund, it wasn't your typical, like at the time, probably not your typical Walter Smith signing for defence, was it? Because as you mentioned, he was, you know, I know golf was the complete defender, but Walter Smith tend to like the kind of clear your lines defenders, but um, Bjorklund, he was a bit more composed and he looked a bit more European, didn't he? Yeah, definitely, and I, th- I think that's what he was aiming for. He was obviously European uh, success was uh, the aim every season, and I think he tried to kind of transition from that Scottish just punt the ball up the field to someone who could actually play a bit of football as well. And he had a decent career afterwards. He went straight to Valencia, I'm sure. Um, so it just showed the kind of the caliber of player that he was. And seven or eight caps for Sweden, you need you need to you need to be half decent on the ball or maybe a half-decent player, at least. So this isn't quite as clear-cut. Ian, who have you went for? Who, who would you argue should take Bjorklund's place? As Ross has mentioned, for me, there wasn't a standout. Like, if you're picking a player who's had the best career that's just played in the team, it's got to be Basil Bolly. But for me, when it came down to it, like if you look at the other three we've got so far, Stevens, Goff and Robertson, they're all just solid, every single one of them. And the, the guy I've picked was also the same. And I've went for Bomber Brown at centre half. And he's just that that team's just not gonna lose a tackle ever. Is it? <laughs> not at all. For me, again, it was just a personal preference. I, I prefer my defenders to defend. Like just get rid of it. You're not you don't need to set up goals and try and play Franz Beckenbauer-type passes. Just give it to a midfielder who, who can. It's interesting, Brown. He, so, you put him in at centre-half for your team, but did you prefer him at left-back or centre-half? Probably at centre-back, I think. It was just... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That no nonsense defender that a center back should be. Just clean everything out. And, and worry about it later. So, Graham, I'm not I'm not qualified in the slightest to make a decision between Bjorko and Dub Brown because I was still putting Lego up my ass when both of them were playing. Who I'm giving you the, the ultimate decision, Graham. Who are you putting in the team, Bjorko and Dub Brown, and why? Okay, so I had the same challenges as Ian and Ross trying to pick a second centre half. I agree with Ian in terms of the solidness how you, you want in your defence. And I think that's what you would have with Gary Stevens, Richard Goff, and although David Robertson was solid in a tackle, he's the one that goes goes forward more than others. So he, he's one that bombs forward. But yeah, I think um, for me it's going to be Bomber Brown at centre-half. Epitomised by, and I know we're not considering it, but the last day of the season against Aberdeen, he was taking injections at that game just to get through it. We were down to the bare bones in that game. We didn't have um, so many injuries. He was taking injections. His Achilles eventually snapped in that game. Um, but it was that sort of attitude. that That's what epitomised the Walter Smith team for me. That solidness, the um, brave all over the pitch. Everybody just wanted to put a challenge in. You'd have to... Um, again, one of these quotes that you don't, you can't attribute to someone. But if you wanted to fight Rangers, we would fight you. And if you wanted to play football, we'll play you at football. We were, we were equally good at both. Um, but ruling out Bjorkland as well because he only played two seasons for us. Bombers got over two hundred appearances. Um, would do a job anywhere for us: centre mid, left back, right back, defence. Overall utility man, um, and ultimately played a bigger, bigger part in the success of Walter Smith. So, bomber Brown for me. Okay, so there we go. We'll put in Brown. That's two against one. So apologies, Ross, but you know what? I, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a good argument to have between Brown or Bjorkland. Uh, I'm sure many, <laughs> many of us would kill for either one of them. Even, even at the age of now, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they'd be less of a bomb scare than goals in fucking Edmondson. Um, anyway, but we're not here to moan about uh, last season. Let's move into the middle of the park. So your midfield four, and Ian, I think you've actually got the toughest job here, um, just based on the amount, of, amount of talent we had over the years and the amount of different players. But start us off with an easy one. Who did you have in the right side of midfield? Well, you see, you think I had the hardest job. Three out of my four were just automatic for me. 
and I only had ever had I only had consideration on one guy. But starting on the right, it's got to be our greatest ever foreign player, Brian Loudrop. The guy was just an absolute magician. Two-footed, uh, quick, strong, big. Just an absolute specimen of a player. There was nothing he couldn't do. I mean, score goals, set up goals, win nine in a row. Um, just I all round, just an absolute amazing player. Kind of unfair that he's that good, and he's fucking beautiful as well. Um, <laughs> honestly, he's got the most, he's got the finest hair I've ever seen. Even now, he's in his fifties, and he's stunning, man. So. Sorry, I know that's um, we're getting a bit flamboyant, but I had to get that out there. Ross, anything else to add in Loudup? Um, it's it's hard to add anything um, different from what Ian said, but at the same time, I think I don't think you can ever over celebrate how how great a player Brian Loudup was. No, definitely not. I mean, I think absolute world class uh, on his day, and just very fortunate that he grew up uh, watching the Rangers team uh, with. With him in it, uh, for me, the greatest player I've ever seen in the Rangers shirt, uh, and I'm not too sure if, if or when we'll see someone better than him. Probably the greatest <laughs> since his time, the greatest player to play in Scotland. Um, well, there's no very many could argue with that. Ian, who have you got on the other side of midfield then? So on the other side of midfield, this is the player that that I had to consider. And I ended up going for Jorg Alberts. Um, so the reason I went for Alberts was Alberts was a big game player. He always turned up against Celtic, didn't he? Like, and in terms of like in terms of competition for that place, you're looking at mainly Peter Hustra. Um, for me, was his biggest challenge um, out on the left. As I said, said, like he always scored against Celtic. He loved a goal against Celtic, which for me just elevates you above everybody else right away. Um, But that was it was a tough choice, but it ended up being Alberts on the left. So my question for you is um, on Alberts. So I I do remember Alberts under the advocate era. Uh, but I know he was shifted about a bit. Smith would play him even left back at times. But if predominantly on the left side of midfield or central midfield, so do you see him as a better wide player or was it that kind of wide central player? What's his best position? He's like a, a wee kind of, not quite a left winger, not quite a centre mid. <laughs> on the left, left centre mid. <laughs> um I, he wasn't. He's not. A, he wasn't a like. Like when he's a left mid, he's not the kind of guy who's going to knock it past you ten yards and run after it. He was never that kind of guy. Um, it was more. He was just set up on the left, but would come predominantly more come inside. So, but yeah, probably someday that in the modern day would be suited to a midfield three. You think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Peter Hooster there. Graham, what's your arguments for Peter Hooster being in the team ahead of Alberts? Because I know you wanted him in the left side of midfield. Yeah, just style of play. If we're going 4-4-2, we want a left winger. Similar to my argument for 
Brown over Bjorkland is that we won't. Uh, I, I felt that Bushra had played a bigger contribution. So there's more appearances under under Smith as well. So he was a bigger part of the Smith team. And Hustra was my type of player. That's who I like to go and watch. So I mentioned at the start, Cooper was my, my hero. That's who I love to watch. I like seeing left-wingers who can dribble and cross. You know, I modelled my game on it. I'm, I'm, I'm a great left-winger, as you yeah. all know, but um, that's who I modelled my game on. Um, it's who I like to watch. It's who I like to go to Ibrox to see. Yeah. Yeah, well, so I, he was more the type of player. And the thing I liked about what Hustra would do is he would... He would show the defender the ball. He would say, right there, take it off me. And just a wee tiny knock by him. It just as if he was presenting the ball to the defender and he'd just skip by him and put a cross in for, for Hately to no doubt score the, score the goal. It's interesting you compare yourself to David Cooper there. You are once described as the modern day David Cooper without the name, talent or charisma. So I can see the, <laughs> can see the comparisons. Um, you know, just to add... Add another another element to this discussion. Ross, you've got somebody completely different. Who would you have had in the left side of midfield? Yeah, so I've had a probably debatable choice here, uh, especially as I'm playing them maybe slightly out of position. Uh, so I've went with Gordon Jury. Uh, he, he was a utility player, although uh, his main position was uh, striker. But he could drop into midfields. Uh, and I'm actually sitting here wearing a, a match worn 96, 97 away shirt for juries, and it's got another seven in the back, uh, which, which suggests he was maybe midfield that day. Uh, but it's good quality, especially the front of goal. But it was his work rate. When you've got a team as, as much flair as I think this one will have, uh, you need someone that's going to do a lot of running off the ball as well. Uh, and I'm sure there's a story where he, he was returning from a hernia op. Uh, in his next game back, he burst the stitches uh, during the game, but uh, continued on to play. And I think that just kind of sums him up. And everybody remembers uh, the Loudrop final for, well, Loudrop, but Hong Jury got a hat-trick that day. Uh, he was top scorer uh, one of the last seasons, I think 95-96 season. Uh, so for me, I, I would play him a little bit out of position, uh, just include him uh, ahead of Hustra. Uh, and for me, Alberts, I'd be playing them more central. Ross, out of um, Hustra and Alberts, uh, would Hustra be your second choice for that? Uh, so Hustra, on his day, again, great quality. But I think, like most swingers, uh, can be a bit hot or cold. As I said, I've, I've included Alberts. Uh, I think, uh, for me, he was one of my favourite players out with, obviously, the obvious names. Uh, Deadly from set pieces, but also scored some unbelievable goals, uh, especially in the big games, whether it's the Champions League or old films. Yeah, I remember a, a solo goal, I think, at Celtic Park, where he, he ran from his own uh, half uh, before scoring. And I think he was probably a little bit unlucky in the sense that the first two years he played, they had allowed up guys on the team. And then after that, it was players like Van Bronckhorst and De Boer. Uh, so I don't think he was ever the kind of star man that. I think he would have been uh, had he signed any periods uh, after that. So, how do we settle this then? So, I'm going to have to make an executive decision. It's always one each for Hooster, Alberts, and Jury. I don't, I don't have Hooster number two. What type of football do you want to be seeing with this team, Colin? <laughs> it's attacking football we want to see. For Rangers fans, we like attacking. And then you also need to think, maybe you leave this one to the end and say, 
who have we chose up front? Because what we need to do is we need to supply, we need to supply balls into the forwards. So who are we going to play up front? Maybe you have a wee think about that one. You leave that one off. Right, it's a compelling argument based on Ian and Ross saying that if they did, if they had to pick somebody else other than a first choice, they're going with Hustra and Graham's arguing tooth and nail. It's like a, it's like he's on a game show here. <laughs> we'll go with we'll go with Peter Hustra. That's the correct decision, Colin. Well done. <laughs> so, Ian, talk us through who's in the middle of your midfield four. So the first person in the middle has got to be Gaza. It's just there's nothing to say about Gaza that hasn't already been said. Ross has said Loudrop was the best player he's seen. I think Gascoigne might be the best player I've seen at Rangers. Um, he, he had everything, didn't he? He was so skillful, scored goals, funny, like always. Good for a story, Gaza, wasn't he? You know, booking the ref. That <laughs> one of the most famous things for when he was in Rangers at Rangers. Um, could be controversial at times as well. He's old uh, playing the flute. Uh, but in terms of football, for me, it was. I think we got the best of him as well. I think when he was here, we we seen the best of Gascoigne, and there's nobody that in the centre that comes close to him. He's done in terms of creativity, scoring goals. There's In terms of Walter Smith's era, there's just nobody anywhere near him. So, Ross, sorry, Graham, I should say, um, you've left Gaza out of your team altogether. Um, Let's get him off. Aye, so is this like uh, the the shock shock jock factor? Are you... Yeah. I knew it would come across that way. It's it genuinely wasn't it. So when you asked me to put my team together, first name in the team sheet was Gascoigne. It really was. So I put Gaza in at the start. Gaza and Loudrop, easy. And then I started to dissect it and, and look at the team. And once I had my team nailed down and written down, I had left out somebody who I thought couldn't be it, couldn't have left out. And that was Ian Ferguson. So Ian Ferguson has played, well, won every single trophy. He was part of the nine in a row, every single league uh, campaign, won the nine in a row. And I had to get Ian Ferguson in for that reason. Ian Ferguson was part of the pre, um, pre-Walter Smith. And I think you need to remember that Gaza was playing in a team against Celtic who were putting their box they were downtrodden and putting their box by previous Rangers teams and that's something that Ian Ferguson was part of he was part of the team that that started the, the domination for that nine year period don't get me wrong it's really hard to leave Gascoigne out so if I, if I get overruled here I'm not going to put up as big a fight as I did with Hustra but Sweet. It's a really, it's a really good point you make um, about uh, the level of opposition that they're up against. But Ross, you know, there's the old cliche that you can only beat what's in front of you. But with Gaza, he was, he wasn't even just a, a British superstar. He, he was a global superstar. He was a household name in Europe. Like, surely that, 
surely it's a no-brainer to keep him in, Ross. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I think if we're picking a team here to, to go and play an actual game, then, yeah, you're going to look at it tactically and looking for balance uh, across your midfields. Uh, but but this, is a, this is a greatest 11 uh, for this period, and we want the greatest players in there, and Gaza 100% uh, falls into that category, not just during these years, but I think uh, throughout our whole history. And I think flaring goals are always going to kind of win this type of debate. Uh, in terms of Gaza now, he's an interesting one because he was in the day and age where flaring goals and natural ability would supersede anything, but the game's changed a lot now, and it's all about athleticism and tactics is a big part of it, but well, where, where would you see Gaza nowadays? Would he cope in a four four two, or is he like smarter men than me talk about four six and tens? And but I, I don't know. Like, do you see him? Where would you see him getting the best out of Gaza? Sorry. Yeah, I, I, th- I think uh, you need to kind of give him a, a free role. I think if he was given too much tactical information or restricts uh, his kind of ability and flair, uh, you're, you're not going to get. Uh, the best of them. So I think nowadays they would be seen as a kind of luxury player, maybe rather than, uh, yeah, a kind of main man that he was. He was back then. So I think yeah, we're firmly keeping Gaza in there um, for now. But we've got a few other players to cover here. Ian, who did you have initially alongside Gaza? Uh, so I went for Stuart McCall alongside Gaza. I think you need a midfielder who's willing to do the dirty work, who's willing to make the challenges and protect the defence. And I think that was the type of player Stuart McCall was. He was, he was, he was kind of the unsung hero of that midfield. He, he never really got the credit as, as 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 good a football player that he was. I think there was there was generally a more flair player around about him. Um, so he kind of got overlooked that wee bit, but. You definitely need an Ian Mc- uh, Stuart McCall, sorry, or, or an Ian Ferguson. And for me, that was he was Ian Ferguson was the next on that list uh, in terms of that dirty that dirty work midfielder. Ian Ferguson would be next on the list in there. But Stuart McCall was for me he was underrated as a player. He never it was. I think we just had too many good players round about him. <laughs> That he never got the credit due, but I think if you take Stuart McCall out that team, that team loses a lot because you don't have that that just workhorse in the midfield. So, do you, do you see um in the kind of battle of workhorse do the kind of dirty work kind of midfielder you you have him over Ian Ferguson in that kind of role? Yes, yeah. I. So. On, you know, probably a slightly different kind of midfielder, but Graham, you also had somebody else in your first 11 next to Ian Ferguson. Talk. Yeah, so I've went um, midfield pairing of Ian Ferguson and Ian Grant. Same kind of reasoning, um, length of service. I think where I was maybe losing the argument where Ian Ferguson was, um, good point by Ross, was if we're looking for a greatest... 11, then Gascoigne is one of the greatest players. I think you can put Ian, uh, Ian Durant up here. So Ian Durant was one of our greatest ever players. Skillful, um, pacey, 
goal scorer, scored big goals, um, cup final goal, semi final goals, goals in Europe. A Rangers boy came through the came through the youth ranks, so has been there all year. I enjoyed watching again. Go back to my, my point about who do I want to watch? I want to watch somebody like Ian Giant. He was a fantastic player. Uh, his passing ability, dribbling ability, shooting, he just had everything. He really was just a great player. Um, and you can't, I, I hate doing this, right, but you, you, you say his career was hampered by that injury, and it's just, you, you can't not get away from saying it, but he did have a great career. Even, with, even without that, he had a great career. He played for Scotland, he played for Rangers, and he had so many great games for us. Um, Ian Durant was one of my heroes so I, I just had to have him in the team You make a really compelling argument for Ian Durant Ross I'm going to come to you because I don't know if it's caused in my age and I remember more fondly but I know you're a big advocate for having George Alberts in the middle of the park and I, I find it hard to think of a Rangers team in the 90s without George Alberts but does he beat any of the does he go in the team ahead of Ferguson, McCall or Durant or does he fall victim he's one of these players that should be in and around the team but he probably doesn't have an out and out best position uh, So again, just going back to one of my previous points, I think McCall and Ferguson both are starters when uh, you're looking for that balance in midfields uh, but for a great 11 uh, both just fall a bit short for me personally uh, when I was looking at uh, the players to pick my starting eleven. Uh, I was kind of torn between Durant and Alberts t- to take that position next to Gaza. Uh, but I felt every memory I had of Durant, or great memory, was all pre Walter Smith. It was in the Sunnis era, kind of late 80s. I mean, he was magnificent, don't get me wrong, during the 92 93 season, especially in the Champions League. I mean, I remember I think against Marseille away in the velodrome. Uh, just a game of that magnitude to score the goal that he did uh, outside his foot just kind of highlights that quality that he had but I just just looking back I felt Alberts had uh, made a bigger imprint I think in my my memories of, of that era uh, so that's why I'd, I'd went with him Ian um, I'm going to leave the executive decision with you I've already decided Gazcoin staying in the team in the middle of the park. Um, you initially picked Dean McCall. Have you been... Sorry, Stuart McCall. <laughs> sorry, too many Ian's in this conversation. Have you been convinced for either Graham or Ross to put Ferguson, Durant or Albertson in ahead of McCall? Well, I've already got Albertson on the left, so he's in my team. Um, but for me, I think... If you're taking out, if you're putting in Durant, for me it has to be Gascoigne that comes out, and that's just not happening. Uh, and as the point I already made, for me Stuart McCall was just better at the dirty work than Ian Ferguson. Um, so no. Cool. So there we have it. It's a midfield four of Loudup, Gascoigne, Stuart McCall, and Peter Hustra. So Graham, we're going to come to you to finish us off with uh, your top two. So tying the uh, yeah, tying not 
uh, put in <laughs> put in Guy McSwiggin and choose to generate controversy. Tango, who, who you think your best your best run to well. Okay, let's just cut to the chase and say Mark Cately and Super Alley. That's got to be a all round agreement, yeah? Yep. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um so Mark Cately start off there. Because of who we've got in our team, Hustra, I remember closing so many balls in for Hately. I also remember Gary Stevens. I know we said that he didn't bomb forward as much, he didn't get forward as much, but one of the one of the key things I always remember about Gary Stevens was a, a diagonal. He always played a diagonal up to Hately for Hately to then knock down for uh, McCoy or another who was running through. Yeah, Hately for me was ultimate target man, done everything for us. He had such a good career before he came to Rangers as well. You know, he had played um, played in Milan and Monaco and had loads of England caps before he even had turned up at Rangers. So it was it was quite a big coup at that point. Because even if you go back to the sort of soonest era when we were picking up all the English internationalists, that was partly because of um, English play, English clubs being banned from Europe. So. That maybe was a factor in some of these players coming to Rangers. That factor had been removed by that point, so that the English players were the English clubs were allowed back into Europe, and we were still able to attract people like Mark Hately. Um, yeah, Mark Hately to me was fantastic. Great target man, done so much for us, so many important goals, won the league for us in that Aberdeen game we talked about, um, scored. Numerous goals in Celtic, European European goals as well. So yeah, Mark Hately for me, number one striker. Yeah. So, choose. So your partner alongside with him, uh, Ali McCoist. Um, do either of these players become such Rangers legends without the other one? Well, am I doing them an injustice? For me, my Super Ali would have been a a legend anyway. He had been with us 1983, I think he signed. So that was seven years he played with us in the 90s, and then then you've got Hately coming. I still think no matter who you paired with Super Alley, he would have um, he would have scored all those goals. So we say he wasn't a big part of the amount of goals, maybe. So for example, the European um, Golden Boot Award that he won twice, back to back, that was in part, or a, a huge part, down to uh, Mark Hately playing on so many balls for him. But I, I know what you're saying. They are, they're, they're so um, interlinked between the two of them. But for me, Super Alley would have been um, a, a legend no matter what. Hately maybe less so. I don't know. I, I, I can't think about that one. Yeah. Well, the, the reason I asked, and it's not until I go back and work it, you know, old old footage or listen to people talk about Alan McCoyst. Um, the first thing you think about Alan McCoyst is Rangers all time get his goal scorer. You know, that's uh, he's drawn that record. But I think that record probably does do him a disservice for what he in. A lot of people who've never seen McCoyst play will just think of him as a Portugal goal scorer, but 
like there's games where he, like in the eighties he would play like in the midfield or on the wing and he, he was excellent on the ball. He was like for what I gather, he was a lot more than a, a goal scorer. Was that right? I, th- I think because see, because he scored so many goals, I think that's why people just thought he was a poacher. It was you see a guy scoring what, 35, 40 goals a season, you're thinking, well, he's obviously just standing in the box tapping them in. Uh, but he, he definitely was a better footballer than he he probably gets credit for. He passed a ball into his chest. It was the first time I'd ever seen it before. <laughs> I, I just I couldn't believe how he done this. He, a ball came for the right wing, it was coming in, it was in the centre circle, and he just made this movement with his chest to pass, he controlled it and passed it, and it went 20 yards into the path of another, uh, I don't know, into the path of maybe Ian Durant, and it's like, that, that's intelligence, the guy, he was a, he wasn't just a goal scorer, definitely not, he had so much, um, so much talent, so much intelligence, he had a, he had a football brain, super early. So that leads me to my next question. Uh, he was in, infamously nicknamed the judge uh, because under Sunnis he spent so much time on the bench. Uh, Ross, I don't know uh, what your opinions are on this. Is that where the better strikers ahead of him at the time? Or did Sunnis just no take a fancy to him? Yeah, I think there probably was a bit of both. Uh, I think Sunnis was constantly trying to get bigger and better names in. Uh, I don't know if there was maybe a bit of a personality clash as well, which meant that, uh, obviously, Sunnis, having just finished his career, still with a massive ego from the career he'd had, and uh, McCoy's being the type of personality he is, that I could definitely see some clashes there. Uh, and I think that there was always rumours that McCoy's may possibly uh, move on until uh, Walter Smith came in and really uh, got that partnership of Haley. And McCoy's uh, kind of cemented within the team. So it was always got to be, it was always got to be straight away Haley McCoy up top, and all three of you picked them as your front two. But did anybody have any any honourable mentions that people that you know did have a part to play that did do well, but were just outshone with with the other two? Like Ross, Ross has already had Gordon Jury in it at, at left mid, but he'd if you're picking a sub from Walter Smith's era, then he'd definitely be my my third striker. Um, there was so many that just we had quite a few. Mikhailichenko came in or when he was there. He was he was was he not like runner up in the European Player of the Year or something? And. Uh, he never really lived up to that when he was at us. Uh, it was, and it would be interesting to have seen what happened if Big Doug can't have been jailed. So, <laughs> um, aye. But Gordon Jury was my next. Gordon, I'd, like, I'd never considered anybody else for the striker position. It was definitely going to be Hayley McCoy's, but number three for me would be Gordon Jury. Agreed. Yeah, I had Gordon Jury as my number three as well. Um, let's go back to the earlier point there, Duncan Ferguson could have went on to have a career and that's where, to answer another or to go back to a question you asked Colin would Super Ali have still been a legend? Yeah, because if, if Duncan Ferguson had continued his career at Rangers then that, Duncan Ferguson was brought in to be Haley's replacement he was the target man that was going to then continue to just to knock the balls down for, for McCoy's to score so 
yeah, he would have he would have continued on a career to do that. But um, I, I, there's no other honourable mentions for me. I, su- I suppose um, uh, God- just Gordon Jury. I suppose Gordon Jury. That's probably sums up my like my earlier point about guys like um, like Alec Cleland, Alan McCarran. Uh, guys that had an impact but weren't starters every week. I mean, every creative team is uh, is built in them, but in the nineties it was still the kind of still the kind of culture that you had your first eleven. That was it. But I probably I dare say, you know, over the nineties and two thousands, there's a, there's a, a cracking team you could make of just supporting players that would you know who probably never get the limelight, but ultimately have a massive part to play in any team. There was guys that had potential to be superstars of Salenko, who scored in the World Cup. He came in, never ever made it, but it was potential. Peter Van Vossen, I know he gets slagged for the miss against Celtic, but he had a great reputation before he came to came to Rangers. He could have again he could have had a career. Um and then Bo Anderson. Bo Anderson was another one. Didn't have much of a career with us, but I don't know, I remember him for scoring against Celtic. Uh, two goal came on as a sub and scored against Celtic. But, but, uh, yeah, I find that argument, I, I get the argument if you score against Celtic, then you've always got a soft spot on in every Rangers fan's heart, but the argument's void for me with Bert I mean, uh, I, I People to this day will still argue that he was a, he was a good... He was, it was it was good value for money for that goal, but I refuse I refuse to accept that. Um, so to confirm the eleven we went with in goals, Andy Gorham, right back Gary Stevens, left back David Robertson, with a centre back pairing of Richard Goff and Bomber Brown. On the right we had Brian Loudrop. On the left we went Peter Hustra with a midfield pairing of Paul Gascoigne and Stuart McCall. And then up front, up front, sorry, Mark Hatley and Ali McCoist. Uh, Ross, I'll come to you because you touched on it earlier. Do you have, is there any arguments for anybody other than Richard Goff being the captain of this side? No, definitely not. Uh, I think that Walt Smith had him as captain every season he was there. Uh, like I say, just he epitomises what it is to be, to be a Rangers captain, and I think that's certainly been missing uh, in recent years. So no, uh, I mean, I think back then you had the leaders throughout the team as well, but Richard Goff has to be captain for me. There we've got a captain as well, and just on the manager himself, Ian. I know we're only looking at his first spell in charge, and the players under there, but Walter Smith had a great second set in charge as well. Is he the greatest modern day manager of Rangers? That that's surely surely an obvious question. Oh, absolutely. I think you look at these two different spells and they were both they were very different. Uh, his first spell he had like a lot of money and was able to sign world class players like Loudrop and Gascoigne. Whereas in the second spell he had guys like Christian Daly and uh, a lot of numpties, so uh, <laughs> but we're still winning. We're still winning leagues, so I'm getting us to European finals. So, uh, I he's uh, he's absolutely miles ahead of everybody else for me. Yeah. And I think uh, 
you'd be hard pushed to argue with that at all. So that'll do us for this week's show. We've got our first 11, our captain and our manager. All that's left to do is thank my three co-hosts for this week. First of all, Mr. Graham Curry. Thank you, Colin. Mr. Ross McCarran. Cheers, enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on. And last but not least, Ian McCready. Cheers, guys. Thank you for everybody who's listening. Take care. for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.